Darmstadt on air number 11. Stop just decolonizing. Duyun in conversation with Raven Chacon. Hello and thank you for joining Darmstadt on air, our series of conversations on music and experiment. My name is Thomas Schäfer from the Darmstadt Summer Course team and I welcome you to the 11th edition of our podcast. Each episode is, as you might already know, hosted by a tutor of the Darmstadt Summer Course. For this edition, the New York-based, Chinese-born composer, multi-instrumentalist, vocalist and performer Du Yun takes the mic. Du Yun is an extremely versatile artist. In 2017, she won the prestigious Pulitzer Prize for Music for her opera Angel's Bone. One year later, she became a Guggenheim Fellow and for five years, from 2014 to 18, she was the artistic director of the Mata Festival in New York City. Next year... 2021, she will be for the first time composition tutor in Darmstadt. For her conversation, Du Yun invited the composer, performer and installation artist Raven Chacon. Raven was born in Fort Defiance, Arizona, and is now working and living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Next to his work as a composer, Raven was a member of the American Indian Arts Collective Post Commodity from 2009 to 2018. And since 2004, he teaches every year many students to write string quartets for the Native American Composer Apprenticeship Project, NACAP. In 2018, Raven visited the Darmstadt Summer Course to be part of our defragmentation project. He and Duyun met on Skype on 13 August and talked about their immersive environmental work, Sweet Land, from the beginning of this year, about expectations of indigenous and contemporary music, forms of representations, and the traps of narratives. Please enjoy listening. Hi, Raven. Hello. How are you? Where are you now? I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in my studio. In my studio. Um, so the last time we saw each other, we were in the same place, um, same physical space, and we finished our collaborative work in the opera Switzerland, and we are the, both um, the composers. And um, I just have um, have to tell you that, well, you already know that that how uh, much not only like respect of uh, music that I have for you, um, but also uh, you're such a great uh, collaborator, um, and a lot of people have been asking me. How do you, how do two composers work? Um, so, so I just want to, you know, uh, I know my, what my, my answer are. Um, just, I want to hear from your perspective. Yeah, well, thank you. Of course, uh, the feeling's mutual. It was a lot of fun working with you, and I learned a lot from you. Um, you know, I don't know if I've been in proximity to such a master composer since I was a student. So uh, <laughs> I learned a lot of different things. Um, but, ex you know, especially when we got to rehearsing and, um, you know, working through, um, you know, how this music that we wrote could be changed or shifted or adapted to, you know, the collaboration with the directors. Um, but as uh, maybe the listeners out there should know, we had a lot of other discussions 
uh, over years, you know, with the creative team and those of us, um, you know, the librettists and you and I, uh, about a lot of non-musical things. So a lot of, a lot about, uh, you know, what issues is this opera addressing? What are the topics that often get ignored when we're dealing with uh, history or the concerns of artists of color or, or the general, you know, people of color at, at large. And um, we were very conscious of, of how we were putting our own work out into the world, you know, careful that it wasn't going to be, uh, you know, taken as, as a representation of where we come from and also um, being conscious of, of ways that our work often gets pigeonholed into, you know, being some kind of identity that, um, of course, most artists aren't. Yes. You know, a lot of artists are artists because they they think quite different than uh, their community. And in some communities, that's that can be an exalted and celebrated thing. That yes. artists are have this other kind of magic or this other kind of way of seeing the world that um, that is important in, in relaying back to the to the broader community and. Um, you know, share what they learned out there or, or these things that they see or hear. Exactly. Um, I just want to first want to say that um, I, you know, when people ask me, they say, oh, where are you from? Where were you born? Um, sometimes I kind of like resist of that question because, because it's sort of like you repeat yourself again and again. But then when I grow older, I do see the, the value in telling people why um, those backgrounds make who we are and especially the perspectives. So again, my name is Du Yun. Um, I am born and raised in Shanghai, China, and I moved to the United States uh, not until when I was 20. Uh, so I was a, a formed, but um, that's already formed in terms of uh, or the world value. And, uh, and you are Raven Shakon. Where are you from? I grew up on the Navajo Reservation and uh, lived there for about 10 years of my life uh, as a child. And then the family moved to New Mexico, where my father mm -hmm. is from. My mother's Navajo and my father is Chicano and Hispano from New Mexico, you know. Um, not really with a country, as New Mexico kept changing hands from being Spain and then Mexico and then a territory. And right. United States, and of course, before all that was various indigenous uh, territories. So, um, so I find myself uh, still here in this city, and it, that, as much as where I can say that I came from, uh, where I live today, still very much informs uh, my work and and the land around where I live. So that's why I stay close to this area because I feel like. Um, at least that part of it can can be some kind of influence for my work. Not necessarily a, a, a group of people that I might you know be descended from, but uh, but more thinking the land I'm descended from. Yes, and it, and this is actually what made me feel particularly very close to you, um, because um, as Chinese growing up too, the the thing that we talk about is actually land, is actually the roots, is actually the ancestors ancestor is also about um, the heritage how are we our relationship to our ancestors our relationship to also our responsibility to our future gener generation so and it's funny you know I, I learned um, studied composition when I was uh, when I was 11 
and I already felt this incredible amount of uh, responsibility that I feel like I have to carry on. I'm sure um, a lot of um, most, I would say maybe German um, young composers might feel the same way. You know, I should ask. I never really asked. Um, but I remember it was a shock when I moved to um, uh, uh, the U.S. And in the class, they would say, oh, you know, I, why you do music? You know, they, they would say, oh, for fun. And I was like, oh, my God, for fun. What does that even mean for fun? You know, and, and I think that, that, I mean, even though we have done lots of different things and some of much of things are really about fun and are really about that's why we just wanted the excitement um, that we wanted to engage with. But actually, um, our collaborations and also uh, the criticism that we give to each other, we give to ourselves, I think a lot of times we have questioned ourselves, oh my God, is it too, is it, like what's the word that you would say? Is it too, um, what people, how, how, how we, I forgot. But it's, is it too light, right? Is it, is it, um, is it how, what's the perspective? that people might take that theme and, and, and think. Right. Right. I think that was, so that might, that might explain a bit of, uh, you know, to the listeners, some, one of the challenges of working on Sweetland where uh, a lot of this discussion we were having with, you know, with Douglas Kearney, who's, uh, you know, African-American poet and Aja Kushwa Duncan, who's also a native uh, poet and uh, Ojibwe uh, Art, woman and and also uh, Chinupa Hanska Luger, Lakota artist, and and you've all coming from this uh, 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 Jewish heritage, and so what we a lot of our conversations ended up being about this uh, kind of trauma bond we were talking about. Yes. You know, all of the trying to take on all of the the history that you know our our family had uh, you know been involved in, and and so we wanted to tell that story, but at the same time, not just make it about, you know, being, being victimized and, and trying to not just have, okay, there's this episode and there's a slavery episode and the, you know, native genocide episode and the Chinese episode. It wasn't like that. It was really trying to find these intersections, but at the same time, uh, complicate the narrative and talk about, diaspora forced migration and mm -hmm. you know, how, how even uh, the complexities of native history might even have different perspectives on what happened there. Absolutely. I was, I'm one of the, you know, come from a tribe that was fortunate that, you know, we were, we were displaced, but then we were able to return to where, we, you know, our homelands are and other tribes don't have that same experience. So I think what our goal was and what our, what our, uh, you know, responsibility was, was to try to, let people know that this is a very complex uh, narrative of, of a bunch of hundreds of narratives that we can at least try to mediate through this opera. Yes. And, and also I, I was so grateful that you um, think the same as I do. I remember when I first um, approached it by Yvo Sharon, he was telling me about this idea, which actually was very different than the idea that um, uh, we came up with uh, later. Um, but I was very afraid that, you know, that I only get to do one perspective and then you get to do um, the native perspective. But from the get-go, we decided, the two of us decided that we're going to just going to take 
all these materials and kind of like defragment it from the ground up, and then we don't even tell people、uh, who did what.、Um, you did this. You did actually. You did the European、uh, the, the the chorus thing come first、uh, in the first scene. And and and、uh, and I did something else, right? But in, I remember, like、um, the critique always also still says sometimes, you know, sometimes they they think that you did all this so-called <laughs> like、uh, what did they say? I don't remember.、Um, yeah, yeah. There's an expectation that I might just be writing the、uh, you know the native melodies or, or yeah know, with pen flutes. <laughs> yeah, and and do maybe some kind of、uh, I mean, we're the funny thing is we did this in Los Angeles, which you know has a long history of making its own kind of indigenous、uh, version of or its own version of indigenous music. You know, these flutes and drums and very simple pentatonic kind of、uh, modalities. But、um, no, we complicated that. We we actually some of the process for those listeners out there is that. Yeah, we looked at maybe like、uh, we. I remember we looked at Mongolian music at one time, which has a lot、right. of similarities of absolutely know,、uh, some uncanny similarities of Navajo culture and tradition, and、um, looked at that as a possible mediator of saying, "Okay, let's listen to that. Let's、yeah. see what that sounds like." And, and starting from the future, right? Starting from the future of that from those lands. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Time that was one luxury that we had. You and I is is that this opera was. Though it was dealing with history, could be completely displaced from time. You know that was that was what we were doing here was writing a creation myth of sorts, so that、um, we could say that this happened in the future or in an alternate universe. Even though the opera was very site specific, we kept it fluid enough so that it could be interpreted in different times or different you know lands. Absolutely. And, and maybe that a person can still interpret that story as being relevant to a different situation. Yeah, I actually wanted to、uh, talk a little bit, you know, using today's time to really talk a bit about something maybe sensitive that、uh, we don't get to talk about、uh, quite often with the media. But because the two of us are here,、um, how do you think about? Because there is、um, uh, this talk about that diversity, right? I have my idea of what diversity. Should mean and and should entail,、um, but also、um, what's the like? Who owns the culture, and who gets to say what?、Um, if I get to uh, uh, have that fabrication, or like you know, we we look at things and and, but can someone else can do it too? And if and how do we engage people? To, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I can answer or at least speak about some part of that that you're that you're talking about. And I think,、um, there were there was a part of Sweetland that was quite unique in that it's very rare that you are going to have an opera on,、uh, you know, the topic of、uh, Native American history, and also have、uh, so many people involved and the creative team that are. That are native、uh, artists, while at the same time it should be recognized that there's very, very few、uh, Native American or American Indian opera singers, and、um, even you know chamber musicians that are working out there in the world right now. So、yes. how did we? How do we have that representation? And、um, you know we were we were 
trying to blur the story to a degree where it had some fluidity without actually, you know, whitewashing anything. That was the last thing we wanted to do. And the erasure, yes. We, yeah. we didn't want to erase anybody's story, but we wanted to complicate it and right. turn it into something that can be adaptable. Mm-hmm. So in doing so, I think we found some, um, you know, it took a lot of discussions with the singers and people. We, came, we actually became quite close to them in discussing, you know, their own uh, worldviews and their own um, stories of their families and try to find some similarities and... Um, you know, it wasn't just putting a face to a character. We wanted to say that, okay, this could actually be a person who's representing a lot of different histories, at least in California, Southern California, or the United States, or the Southwest. We can at least start there. This is not an opera that was trying to solve the problems of the world. It was really trying to at least start with the Americas. And there's so many different uh, folks who have been uh, included in the story of this country that are usually neglected that I didn't find a problem of, of let's say, a, a, a Korean singer being a, a person who's representing uh, somebody who's similar to uh, Pocahontas, let's say. Even though there's no Pocahontas in our opera, there's a woman who is in, involved in a forced marriage, an indigenous woman who right. is representing both the land and an early, um, you know, person who, who met these arrivals. So... Uh, I didn't see a problem in in that because there was there was the truth is there's simply not enough indigenous uh, singers out there to play all these parts. Then, then what it will become a problem? What was that? When, like like when is the threshold right? Yeah. When so, the threshold becomes too large, that we feel being endangered or being threatened or being unfair. Uh, to be treated. So are you saying, um, I'm not sure, I'm not quite sure what you, what you mean. Um, I think also in, in today's climate too, uh, a lot of, it it can go to the other spectrum, which is so careful that like only one particular person can do one particular thing and Mm -hmm. only that particular thing. So now, this is also very dangerous. Um, I think it's dangerous because not only is it pigeonhole um, human, um, but also pigeonhole that culture becoming like this dead end entity. Right, right. And I think that's where there's, there requires some uh, care on deciding what these stories are going to be, at least in opera, or what the topic is going to be. Mm-hmm. If the topic is meant to be very documentary or even anthropological, I think right. you're going to put yourself into a corner of representation. Whereas what we're supposed to be making is art, and this art should have some kind of, uh, you know, like I keep saying, fluidity. It should have some kind of stretch to it. Mm-hmm. It should maybe even confuse to a point. So there, there has you can't be making lazy decisions when you're when you're composing this kind of scenario. I think I think having great care and finding out who all the participants are is going to be important, and that's why we're seeking diversity in saying, well, let's have let's at least have different uh, possibilities of singers who can audition. Let's let's try to bring somebody in who doesn't live here instead of just you know yes. finding a, a bunch of white folks who live in the area who could pull this yes. off. And let's not just think about the voice type. We didn't even go from voice type first. Oh, yeah. Right? We, it's about the people first. 
Exactly. Um, and I think sometimes an art form drove itself a huge profound trap that it only can be this lyrical tenor can only be sound like this um, with no regard that people change, people shift our story, our connection to each other within the communities often evolve with the time, with the generation, with, um, with our 2020 is so different than 2019. Like just to say the slightest. Um, so I think that's the a, a sort of um, trapping uh, in so-called classical music or contemporary mm-hmm. music um, is that we have a very set idea of what that uh, could entail. And that could entail um, often disregard to people who might not be uh, living on that land, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So this is also what my understanding of thinking about the, the Eurocentric um, perspective. Um, you learn that things have to re- resolve resolutes and, and you learn the instrumentation. You learn um, the orchestration that against the older orchestration, but it's still against the their tradition, their generation. Um, so So for us, how to invite all these perspectives and all this, I would say, also sensibilities. Um, like starting from the land, everyone's connection to land is different, right? So, um, but I wanted to like, because you touched upon something really interesting about, um, about uh, the representation mm-hmm. and the laziness of, uh, uh, finding people and identify people who can represent. Then I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, uh, what you, because you also do curate, you also do lots in um, a visual art and installations. In curating, uh, what would be considered to be a lazy approach? A lazy approach? A lazy approach, uh, and it, and this happened a lot in the first, let's say, ten years ago, mm-hmm. uh, you when know, I was still an emerging composer as well. Is I don't know how many of these I participated in, but um, somebody thinks a, there's people who think a solution to this kind of uh, problem of um, you know uh, making space for others is to have, let's say, a concert of just Native American composers. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't be my music couldn't be farther from the next native composer who's working out there and there's very few of us mm-hmm. we all do quite different things and we come from different corners of the country but the region reason, culture yeah yeah for some reason people think that that's a good idea for a concert of just having a night of american indian chamber music and those are i i i didn't appreciate being in those kinds of concerts i i love the music of of other indigenous composers that are working out there in the field, but uh, my music doesn't always fit on a concert with them or there's on, on something like, you know, I would be presenting. It's very hard to try to put these, um, you know, pegs into the holes, you know? Uh, so right. Um, so that, that can be very lazy. I think also um, this might have to be put into the hands of the artist or the composer or musician is 
uh, I try, it's a case by case basis, but I might not put in my bio where I'm from or anything. I might put where I was born because that might give enough of a clue, but uh, I kind of stopped identifying as Native American or, or you know, American Indian because uh, I, I feel like maybe you can maybe hear that in the music. And if you can't, that's okay as well. But maybe it's not relevant to every situation or every piece that I'm presenting. Uh, there's times when it is, and and definitely in the in the case of Sweetland, I was happy that um, that the industry had wanted to find an indigenous composer to tell this story. They very easily could have found somebody else, mm-hmm. uh, but they they knew how important it was that and how rare it was that mm-hmm. um, that this might come up. So that that would be a situation or a time when I would you know surely uh, broadcast my identity, but. Um, it's not always it's not always needed. I think no. you need to understand that too. Right. So I think I think that then it's also just like what you said. It, we should also int- introduce the fluidity of of identification, right? Like or 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 ideas or who we are or 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 our values. Um, maybe I shouldn't use the word values. Um, but it's sort of like, for instance, I love your noise music. I love your electronic, crazy loud stuff because I do that too. Um, but I never would do that thinking that, oh my God, I'm the Chinese, you know, who cares, right? Like at that level, who cares? Uh, you just uh, you just do the best noise. There it is. Um, I think for me, um, the identifying people's, contemporary people's needs and their living condition and their uh, 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 condition, I would say, um, is just be sensitive about um, this ongoing, changing, evolving human conditions that we live. Uh, Yeah, I really like that. I like um, that that there's that facilitators, let's say curators or mm-hmm. programmers or other artists should make the space for somebody, for an artist to be able to transform, to change. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying some kind of um, Rachel, Rachel Dolezal or something no. where you change mm-hmm. your race or something mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or blackface or whiteface or any of that kind of thing. I'm, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about uh, being conscious of not pigeonholing somebody so that they can have that idea, you know, that, that possibility to, to shapeshift or to to change in, in ways that were unexpected or that might facilitate their art, and that's there's no easy way for artists to do that either. But that's that's kind of how we we all live. I think I think that's still what artists do is try to navigate a constantly shapeshifting world. Yeah, and we I feel like we always like looking for stimulations, right? We're looking for 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 exchanging and for stimulation to be challenged to have our own uh, worldview to be challenged a little too so that it's not just we are always the intro like uh, the the cultural guide to tell people what has happened because what is going to happen to us is going to happen to our future generation is up to us mm-hmm. and 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 that pigeonhole of what it has been is dangerous, right? It's also, so because that just killed, as you said, killed, I love it, killed the transformation of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I guess, you know, it gets me then thinking about something that might just contradict what I said 
also is that those are for perhaps for the audience or for for people who are listening to the music or looking at the art but on the other hand i might have a different identity as a teacher or as a mentor mm -hmm. to other native students or for yourself with you know let's say let's say chinese american students who are you know trying to find their place in the world um, or my, or, you know, immigrant students is that I think they do need some handles to say, Oh, this is a person who's come before me who, who mm -hmm. understood how to navigate this. Mm -hmm. In those situations, I try, I, I, I give more away or I'm more, I'm more, um, uh, I'm more open about maybe, um, where I'm coming from or who I yes. think I am. And so that's important too, because I can't, I can't be that same person to, to people who are trying to learn. No, because we lead by examples, right? right. And, and for me, it's also showing the sensitivity that uh, we live in a specific time and the new generation, they have their own time to grapple with. They mm -hmm. have their own economical uh, loans that are very different. <laughs> That's so serious, right? Like, um, So whatever worked for me, for you, Raven, would not should not work for them but it's the spirit it's the it's how we when we uh, see the set of challenges we use our references we we look at our where we come from and 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 deal with that challenges i think those are invaluable lessons that we can part with yeah. um or yes go ahead no word no other words These no exactly what i was thinking <laughs> Oh, that's so cute. Um, so, see, also, I want to I wanna tell people that um, and remind the both of us that um, if there were no pandemic, actually, right now, you will be teaching at the uh, reservation. You will be going soon. And we talked about um, uh, me going there for this year. Um, can you tell us um, about what is this reservation uh, camp teaching? Yeah, this is a project I've been doing for, this would be the, let's see, 16th year I'm doing this project. It's called the Native American Composer Apprenticeship Project. And what the project is, is uh, myself going to different reservation schools, the Navajo Reservation, where I'm from, also the Hopi Reservation, which is also in northern Arizona. And uh, previously also we were working with the Salt River Pima community, which is near Phoenix. And I go to a, a high school for a week and recruit some young composers, uh, maybe up to 10 at each school, and give them the, the assignment of writing a three-minute piece for string quartet. And so half of these schools, they have music programs. And the reason they have music programs is usually because they have a really good football team or sports team. So they need a I marching see. Right. And uh, other schools, they don't have any arts funding. They don't have any, you know, they just have very few classes. And some of these schools are very rural. Some of the students don't have electricity in their homes or running water. Um, so you have a full, you know, different uh, spectrum of, of conditions of, of where these students are coming from. And so, uh, you know, giving them the task of writing in Western notation for me, I approach it like they're learning a, another language that they're going to have to relay on to uh, a group of professional musicians who only read that language or who are most versed in that language. 
And so that's, that's more the instruction. It, it's, it becomes less about, um, you know, what kind of music they're writing because these students, some of them um, have very strong traditions and, and are knowledgeable about their own tribal music, but mm-hmm. you know, the kids everywhere all over the world mm-hmm. uh, might listen to hip hop or, you know, metal or any mm-hmm. kind of uh, music. So uh, my hope is just to bring all of that out and have them write a piece for, you know, these just changes. Uh, uh, for, for, like two questions. Uh, how do you recruit them? And, and second, why string quartets? Well, that was the original uh, format of uh, who the organization who is, uh, you know, funding this and mm-hmm. who is organizing it, which is the Grand Canyon Music Festival. Mm-hmm. So it started with um, just different visiting quartets who would come do these concerts at the Grand Canyon. And what started happening was, you know, more uh, outreach to the nearby communities. Some of these kids, they live an hour away from the Grand Canyon and have never been there. So it's such an amazing uh, thing to ha- be able to present a concert of their works there at, uh, at the Canyon every Labor Day. And um, so that's, that's why string quartet, but also it's, you know, it's a very kind of um, uh, direct uh, medium. It's, it's good to, you know, it's, it's maybe a good first task to give them just kind of, let's say just strings without getting into transposable instruments and all, you know, all everything. Do they, do they feel um, string quartets are part of the repertoire? You mean of traditional music? Traditions. Not necessarily. There is actually an Apache violin, which is made from a a tree trunk Uh and a string, but that's um, uh, not necessarily. The, the, the reason I'm I'm asking is that, and and also the reason that uh, we were talking about having me there is that um, last since last year I'm involved uh, with this uh, initiative in um, in Tibet in Qinghai, Tibet. Um, that also like you, um, it's sponsored by the foundation, and uh, they are going to villages to villages to that region, and uh, the social economical class of their kids are very vast different um, but mostly um, poor um, and all definitely all of them are first generations kids go to school so they learn both the uh, the t- Tibetan and the Chinese but what happens is that what I uh, uh, visited is that uh, it's quite shocking that you know um, they don't really teach the traditional um, uh, Tibetan songs mm-hmm. or, the, or the Tibetan uh, traditional dances of Bailong Zhuo Wu um, is only to be taught as a religious uh, form and only can be taught to boys. Mm-hmm. Girls are, cannot be learned. Um, uh, girls cannot learn um, those techniques because those are, have been like historically shown away. Um, so looking at that, um, the, the initiative is about collecting the traditional materials and to actually actively teach back to the kids and, um, and then they can do whatever they want. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but my question for them and what I learned from them really is also the two difficulties and the two challenges that they face, which when we talk, I feel like you were, we were talking about that too, is that, Yes, they have this incredible wealth of tradition, but they don't see the future with it. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. don't, they, they feel like also they feel the incredibly beautiful mountains, 
and lakes and high altitude are actually what what's imprisoned them because they、mm. cannot go out,、mm. and they really wanted to go out and and go to sea and have that because they are just so curious to see. They've never seen, even seen puppetry before, and that we brought back. You know, they just the the the, in, the amount of curiosity to the world is massive,、mm-hmm. um, and also. Sort of flattened. It's the, as massive as、uh, Next Kid from Shanghai, if not more.、Um, so, so this has got me thinking. And when you were talking about、um, those kids, and I thought it would be so great to have them really like, and that's still happening. You know,、um, is to talk to each other and and see, you know, what's the the common challenges shifts are. And how do you? I think the question I want to, I would like to ask you,、um, as we grapple with this together, is、um, how do not you as individual artists, because I know that answer for myself as a composer and a musician,、um, but I'm also trying to figure out an answer for like what do you think about. The tradition and then the future and the, what what does that mean and how can we teach to the next generation? Yeah, what you're saying, you know, I, I completely agree with and and understand.、Um, you know, myself being one of those young people who who lived out there in this very rural place and felt, you know, that there was this other world beyond、uh, living in the, in the Navajo res- reservation. Um, and maybe also having this feeling that once I did move away from there, that that was the only thing that somebody might have been interested in, in myself is where I come from. So I can see the hesitation of a student to say, "Hey, I don't want to write something in a traditional style.、Mm-hmm. I have this idea for a you know thrash metal、uh, mm-hmm. or something."、Mm-hmm. And and so my my task is just to get them the skills of being able to get whatever down, you know, make whatever piece you want. I found that the students I have over four years, and I actually have a student、uh, who's been a, a I've been mentoring for so long that he's now my assistant.、Um, I think through throughout after they get that out of their system, they go back and look at who they are and what they have to say and how it all combines into something that is very you know unique and rare. And so that's the kind of thing I try to develop instead of just trying to、um, you know squeeze out of them their traditional knowledge. Absolutely. And don't you think that sometimes it's just also offer more viable career paths and more viable life choices? Not that they have to choose it, but they should have、um, all those selections that they feel free to choose. I think so. I think so. I think、um, you know. Having、I'm, said that, anybody can have anybody can have a.、Um, Perhaps a lucrative career, being selling out, you know, being a new age world music artist.、Mm-hmm. I think there's probably Tibetan kids and Navajo kids who could go and、oh、do something God,、yes. very, very hip hop is so cool. So yeah, very, it's something very stereotypical or new agey or world music、mm-hmm. and all a ton of music or, or gigs doing that kind of thing. And、um, if anything. My encounters with these young people is to show them that there are, you know, very different alternatives. Exactly the alternative, the other alternatives, right? All this like viable, like more options. So it's not just what is commercially available, or there's just no future if you don't do that. 
Yeah, and maybe I mean it's not, it's probably not viable to be a noise musician, but I'm at least <laughs> showing them that end of the spectrum and show them how I, you know, offset that and how I how I might have made a career out of doing you know art presentation, sound art, all those other kinds of things. Teaching, teaching is, I mean, they're they're probably wondering why I'm there, and I sometimes I tell them, hey, I have to make a living still doing this kind of, <laughs> you know. Uh, noise when, music. Yeah. So when I, I when I say viable, I actually mean that um, uh, uh, life life choices um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that often, especially in those regions, if, especially if you're a woman, if you're a girl, mm-hmm. there are only so limited um, paths you can do and you can go through, mm-hmm. and oftentimes that they quit school in their teenage year because they have to uh, move the position for their, for their younger brothers. Mm-hmm. So for their entire life, they, I felt they're in waiting, in waiting yeah. to get married, you know, have kids and just into that, the other role. So, and I think that this is why um, I feel being an artist like us, I feel incredibly powerful because we get to, um, choose to the to do you know the projects we can we get to choose to do noise music we get to choose to to do all this kind of different projects and also and I also wonder you know how can we really um, think about the open up the sources um, of knowledge. And I think the hoarding of knowledge has been really scary uh, in the classical music. Oh, especially. yeah. 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 That, I completely agree with you. This hoarding of knowledge and this, this uh, holding on to this tradition that's inside of classical music and, and Western music. And so uh, that's, I mean, that's the biggest thing I can teach these students is that you know, it's a language, you can learn this language, you can understand these instruments, which are beautiful instruments, they have their own tradition, but it doesn't mean you have to write in that way, you know, and there are going to be different corners of this world that won't like what you do, but there will be very strange corners that might like what you, you know, the the odd things you make with these tools in this language, so that's all I can really teach these, these young people. And, um, you know, what's been interesting is, you know, in the 21st century is that all these young people might have, uh, you know, apps and iPhones and things, and maybe they're not interested in uh, writing another string quartet again, but I get students who then, you know, have questions of, oh, well, I want to work in a recording studio or I want to move to the next city and, um, you know, make other kinds of music. And so that's, that's where, you know, a lot of the, the lessons end up, you know, evolving into something else or they want to become a sculptor or, you know, a filmmaker. And so, you know, I, I'm there to also at least try to guide some of that discussion, but yeah, it's, it's to, it's to let them know that um, on one hand, we're dealing with a very old European tradition. On the other hand, that's just one way to get into some kind of door that goes somewhere else. And really that's, that's all I can teach them. And how can we teach them the their own traditional music or traditions? 
If I had more time, I, I would get more into that. And like I said, when I have returning students over the uh -huh. years, you get into those discussions. Um, I think though, I, I can't stress enough how important it is that there are their own local teachers there that are hopefully encouraged. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I don't want them to forget you know, where they come from. Um, all I am is the, the oddball that comes into their community, comes back home, I should say, because I'm from there. And, and shows what I learned outside, you know. Right. The outside um, in is like the perspective, I think, is very valuable mm -hmm. for them, right? And, and I think for people like us, I always make sure that I collaborate with the local artists who know so well with their uh, artistries within their land, within their communities. And I cannot be the spokesperson for any, anything. Um, and um, I, I, I think that I have another question, which is um, a presentation. Um, I think that pandemic actually um, is making me thinking a lot about the technology integrated of the technology, like how uh, music work um, is going to be experienced at, or art world, as you know, are having a huge topic about this. Um, have you thought about that? Well, I, I do know that I don't like to see exhibitions online. Mm -hmm. I, it, it, during a COVID time, I realized it's not that I like looking at art, mm -hmm. you know, sculptures or paintings or... Mm -hmm. uh, things like that. It's that I like to be in the presence of them. I like to go to the place, the museum or the gallery and just be with them or amongst it, you know, amongst these, these artworks. And it's not necessarily that I'm liking to see a two dimensional view of it um, to understand it. There's something else maybe I can't explain, but, um, and the same might apply to, to live music, of course, that we, you know, live music is quite, is one thing and recorded music is another thing. Uh, and some pieces adapt very nicely to just a recording medium and others don't. And others are, I prefer only to see, you know, I mean, I love watching noise and going to concerts of noise. I, I don't know if I can always just sit in my studio or read a book and listen to that stuff, you know, um, it's, it's quite different. I know. For some I, I always feel like, you know, if I see another Zoom concert, my mind is going to explode a little. Yeah. But that's, but that's beside the point. Um, one, <laughs> one last question, and that's actually my burning question um, to you, um, is that how, for someone who wants to collaborate with indigenous artists, who's, for someone who wants to program indigenous artists, could you... Could you provide some sort of guidance? I wouldn't say guidance, but your, your perspective of what would be an equitable way to do so? Would it be an honorable way to do so? I think first, uh, one should research that person's work. And um, it's not a big problem right now, but uh, find out, you know, of course, what tribe this person is from, where they come from, um, Seek out, seek out folks that are, you know, identifying as indigenous, are recognized in their communities as being indigenous artists, and uh, you must like their work. I mean, don't collaborate with somebody and you don't really like their work. Um, 
But uh, and then just uh, now we can, you know, zoom each other up, it seems like, and, and th- take the discussion further. But um, of course, they should be equal collaborations. If, if you're seeking a, a film score or something and you need a very particular flute and drum kind of thing. Yeah, sure. That's some other kind of paid gig. But if you're talking about an art collaboration, I think I think uh, it's very should be a very equitable situation and a very you know self determined situation between those involved about what it's going to be, and um, and you you might find that the the person has an idea that they would like to um, that might need that contribution from the person who's seeking the, the collaboration that uh, that they don't have access to. So that can be very equitable and uh, kind of you know reciprocal relationship of making something that would never exist in the world had that union not come together. Uh, Other than that, um, yeah, there's no, there's no excuse for not really researching somebody's work right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. Hopefully everybody has things online and uh, things that they can find out. And um, even having done research, uh, what would it be the trapping for curators to engage a group of indigenous artists and musicians? Hmm. Like if you were pro, so like if you were programming a concert and you wanted to include a native musician or composer. If I want to have a theme, which I always think it's a really bad approach, or not a bad approach, but already sort of like you want the artist to fit in your role, to hmm. fit your vision. Um, and yeah. I'm trying to find like what is the alternative way, right? Yeah. I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier is is that uh, not just making a concert of identity. I think there's other things to talk about than somebody's identity. There could be shared experiences. There could be Mm -hmm. shared ancestral experiences. There could be, um, you know, worldview. I think there's a lot of overlap in worldview, cultural worldview or contemporary worldview. Um, and I think it definitely requires some meetings with somebody, uh, you know, time permitting just to see, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think? And being very open-minded if, if somebody might have issue with a, let's say a title or something, there's, and there's a lot of tropes. I mean, nobody should be making uh, concerts that say decolonize this or, you know, that's a old, that's overused right now. So, uh, decolonization, all these things without really, uh, seeking what that might mean to to somebody, but I, I think there's a, there's a lot of these kinds of um, uh, tropes that are happening. What what that might mean um, to to you decolonization? I just feel like it's an overused kind of saying, you know, in exhibition titles or uh, there's been a couple concerts or conferences where it's yes. you know it's talking about that, but it's it's there's so much more to talk about. I mean, there's so much more to go deeper into than just decolonizing the institution. Uh, and, and that's too much for us to get into right now on this zoom. But I think, I think yes. coming up with, we're still making art at the end of the day. I, I, I like, I like the shared experience you said you mentioned mm-hmm. because the shared experience can also jump out of all these identities and can relate to the audience as well. So the mm-hmm. audience can resonate with whoever artists are in question to be exhibited or concert or showcased, right? So that yeah. that's how the work is going to be having that shared experience with the local audience. 
instead of the local audience always looking at you know a curiosity objects to oh, yeah. different things. Yeah, let's let's put it this way: um, an indigenous artist or a minoritized artist does not want to be the textbook to a group of people about their own history. What would be interesting or what could be appealing is if one gets asked, well, tell, tell us your thoughts on time or tell us your thoughts on spatialization of sound or tell us your thoughts on, um, I don't know, inaudible sounds or tell us your thoughts on whatever, frequency and light and uh, the universe, but anything but, you know, having a... So how to build a climax. Exactly. <laughs> Seriously, because yeah. I remember, you know, that's a, that's the sensibility that uh, everyone feels differently, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. why there's so much thing we talk about the time-based media and all that, but all those things, the value system, we are still looking at the value system from the Eurocentric values. Mm. That's how time works. That's how uh, events worked. How that's how events worked with another event and that's how the story are being clear cleanly packaged and we are you know writers still look at it that way but it's not our part of how we experience um the world and why you know right yeah exactly yeah that you know to bring it back to sweetland that was what i i learned a lot from these discussions that were far beyond my uh knowledge of being able to talk to some of the other creative team, people who are working on lighting, on projections, all artists of color and hearing about their worldview about, you know, and their opinions on aesthetics. And, and I've just learned so much of all these different ways that the thing can look and the way it can flow and move and, and how they perceive audiences and just this overall... Um, and how they build the conflict, right? Build yeah. the conflict and, and, and smooth out. Um, and humor, like humor is all, it was inside of this. True, true, true. Very, true. very uh, clever and subtle ways that, um, you know, requires audiences to think, oh, this is some joke in there I don't understand. But there's so many That's layers. So we'll, we'll, we'll find it out together, you know. That's, that's so cool. That's, it's exactly uh, what I was saying. Like, that's how, in the end, it's about how understanding and being open-minded to how people relate to each other. Because how people relate to each other are just intrinsically different and varied. Well, I think I'm done. Um, but thank you so much um, for your time. Um, this just that that decolonization. I know we can like go on for days uh, for our topic. Um, yeah. I'm sorry if anybody has a uh, you know conference coming up that's already using that term in there, but maybe I would think about changing that because it's it's uh, there's other discussions. I think it's moved on into something very more urgent than um, than that, or more inclusive, or maybe not not so um, uh, reductive. Yeah, also reductive and more urgent. Absolutely. Thank you.